are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to speak tonight on the subject, the cross, God's great opportunity, or the cross, God's great interpreter. I have been putting off for several years, and I'm still going to put it off, preaching a series of sermons on the cross. It is unbelievable and incomprehensible what the cross means. I, I've come close several times in the last several years of preaching. As you know, I rarely ever preach series of sermons. But I've come close to preaching just like I do in the love of God one summer, 15 straight Sundays. I've been tempted just to take off on the cross and finish when I get through and preach about the cross. There's so many things that happened on the cross. The cross, it's the place where all the streams of history pour themselves and all the rivers of prophecy originate. It's the pivot of eternity. It's the keystone that holds all the gospel and the Christian life together. But tonight I'm going to take that one little verse. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And I want to teach you or tell you what I think it means. As I speak on the subject, the cross, God's great opportunity, or the cross, God's great interpreter, our flock. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. To some, perhaps to most, our Lord is talking about the resurrection. They would say, and I do not think it's an injustice, But they would say that our Lord was saying, and I, if I be raised from the dead in my glorified body and ascend to the right hand of the Father as the high priest, doing the work of the mediator, the daysman, the priest, the right hand of the Father, if I be raised from the dead, I will draw all men unto me. Though I do not think that does an injustice to the Scripture, neither do I think that's the primary teaching of the Scripture. Then there are those who would say, that's talking about the cross. If I be lifted up from the earth, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. They, that group would say that talking about preaching, the lifted up Christ on the cross will draw all men to salvation. I do not think that does an injustice to the Scripture either. But I do not believe that that's the primary teaching of John 
12:32. Let me take tonight and share with you what I think our Lord meant. And you'd have to follow me very carefully as I do so. What I think our Lord meant when he said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. I think he was talking about the cross instead of the resurrection. But I think he was talking uniquely about one particular aspect of the cross. Though I think everything to do with his being lifted up was also, is also found in this verse. Now as I plunge into it, step close with me and don't get too far behind me so you won't get lost. Christ was forever in the deity. You heard me say that again and again and again. There always has been a man like in per- person in the Trinity. Christ is man, the man like person in the Trinity. Now, he's God, but he's man like. Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 5, there's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. And not only that, but Christ was forever in the deity. And follow this statement here very carefully. He was the element of pardon in the Godhead. He was the element of pardon in the Godhead. Before Adam was, there was an element of pardon in the Godhead, and that element was Jesus Christ. Before the earliest or oldest star was flung into space, there was an element of pardon in the Godhead. Before the earliest sun rose to greet the dawn in the morning and caused the dawn of the morning, there was an element of pardon in the Godhead. Let me see if I can explain it like this, and this is a crude explanation, but maybe it'll give you some idea. There was in the Godhead one of the Trinity who was the pardoning one of that Trinity. So if there ever were a moral race of men, and if there ever were a moral race of men that chose to sin, there would already be available a pardoner in the Godhead. It's sort of like a spare tire in the trunk of the car. It's there in case it's ever needed. And there always has been, in the form of Jesus Christ, in the Godhead, a pardoner available in case there ever would be a race of moral people, and in case that race of moral people ever chose to sin. Which means that, put it sort of crudely, Jesus was the pardoner and the Savior and was already willing to go to Calvary just in case man ever needed him. This is the pardoning element of the Godhead. Now, this God aches or ached to show man that love. Before I was, he desired to know a language that I could understand that could show me his love. 
Did you ever stop to think that man's vocabulary is not God's vocabulary? Did you ever stop to think how difficult it is for God to communicate to man? We cannot comprehend the great mind of God. We cannot understand the things of God. We cannot understand the vocabulary of God. And God wanted to tell man that he loved him. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in this world that you love so much, and you feel like you do a sorry job of letting them know about it? And you wish somehow there was some way that you could reveal to them the depth of your love? But it seems like your vocabulary and theirs are not the same, and it's a little difficult for you to manifest and reveal and to express the depth of the love that you feel for them. You want to tell a child how much mother loves him. But there's no way that a child can understand the vocabulary of motherhood. You have to wait till that child is old enough to understand a little bit. And you may not, a child may not ever understand it unless it's a girl child and that child someday becomes a mother. And then that child knows something about the love of a mother. And the tragedy is, by the time that happens so often, that person's mother's gone, and they've never allowed their own mother to, 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 to express in a vocabulary of motherhood how much there is in a mother's love. Please don't misunderstand me. I yearn to let you know how much I love you. I yearn some way to find a vocabulary that you could understand to show the love of your pastor for his people. I do not believe anybody can ever totally comprehend it unless he's been a pastor of a great group of people whom he loves for many years, almost 27 now. But God sought some way to convey this pardoning love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God yearned to know how to find a vocabulary where God could say to man, I love you. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the sky of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the whole contain the scroll, though stretched from sky to sky. How much did God love the world? He so loved the world. So is the description of the infinite, infinite. There's no way that God can tell you how much He loves you. And God sought a vocabulary that man could understand, that God could speak, whereby God could say, I love you, and this is the vocabulary I can use to express that love. Before I ever was, God desired to know a language that I could understand that could tell me how much God loves me. I think personally the most difficult thing about the life of Jesus Christ on this earth was that He spoke a language that nobody could understand. I think He had a love He could not convey. He had a love He could not describe. And I think the most difficult thing it was, was for him to try to take deity's love and explain it to man's ears. To try to take heaven's love and explain it 
to earth's mind. And he was always trying. That's why, that's why he talked in parables so much. He was trying to condescend to our level to, to show. For example, he described his love as the love of a father. Well, that's a big love for us. And, but it's not even close to showing. Listen, you take all the love that ever father's ever had for every boy that's ever lived, all the love that ever father's ever had for every daughter, every, all the love, add that to all the love every mother's ever had for a son, and add to that all the love every mother's ever had for a daughter, and add to that all the love that every daughter's ever had for a father, and add to that all the love that ever a son has ever had for a father, and add to that all the love that every daughter's ever had for a mother, and add to that all the love that every daughter's ever had for a father, and add to that all the love that a lover's ever had for a sweetheart, and add to that all the love that a brother's ever had for a sister, and add to that all the love that a sister's ever had for a brother, and add to that all the love that a friend has ever had for a friend, and add to that all the love that man relationships total could ever have had, some total, and you are like a drop of a thumb full of water compared to the Pacific Ocean, trying to understand the mighty love of God. And God had a frustration. How can I show man that I love him? And so God made the worlds and made the ocean for man and said, This shows that I love you. But there was a hunger and a yearning in the heart of the great heart of God, saying, That does not totally express adequately my love for man. And so God put dry land and put beautiful carpet on that land. And God said, That will show man something of my love. But that fell, failed and immeasurably in an effort to show the love that God had for man. Man looked at the the meadow and said, He loves me. But God said that didn't show him how much. Man looked at the ocean and said, He loves me. But that didn't show him how much. Man saw the stars that God put in the sky. And God said, Look here. I want to tell you, I love you with the twinkle of every star. But that did not adequately express God's love to man. And so God made the flowers and said, Look at the beautiful rose and the daffodil and smell the gardenia. And that, but that, that, that did not satisfy the great heart of God. God in some way needed to say to man, I love you. I've got to show you I love you. What vocabulary can I speak? How can I tell you that I love you? God yearned in his heart to make man understand him. And God said, if I could just uh, have man understand my love, and if I could just uh, uh, give him a, a vocabulary that would show him my love. And God, not only was the cross made for our redemption, but on the cross of Calvary was God's sublimest and most supreme expression of his love. If you can look at Calvary and not know something of the love of God, something awful cold about your heart, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the sky a parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill Every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the whole contain the scroll, though stretched from sky to sky. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ere such love and sorrow meet a farm's composed so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my love, and my all. What God was saying on Calvary, He was saying, Hey, world, looky here, 
Let me show you. Thus a free. If this does not show you my love, you'll never understand my love. If this is not a vocabulary that you can understand, you'll never understand my vocabulary. If you can see God becoming flesh, the very God of gods becoming flesh, walking among men, earth was its, his home, heaven was that which he gave up. He left uh, the castles of glory and came to the, to the Mount of Olives for a place as the foxes had holes and the birds had their nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Look at Calvary. Look, if you would, please, if you want to see God's love. If you want to hear God's vocabulary, God's supreme, uh, sublimest effort to tell you that He loves you, you look at Calvary. That's no man on the cross. That's God incarnate. That's no man dying on a cross. That's God dipping His own soul in the torments of hell and suffering all the punishment, all the suffering that mankind would ever have suffered if everybody had gone to hell and stayed there forever. I'll be honest with you, if you can't see God's love in Calvary, I doubt if you'll ever see God's love. And God wrapped up all of heaven's vocabulary in the one great moment and said, Here it is! Here's Calvary! It's the interpreter of my love to man. It's my great opportunity to show man that I love him. That makes divine love understandable. You ever wonder how God loves you? Listen to the vocabulary Oh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You ever wonder about the love of God? You stop to realize that God, Jehovah, turned His back upon God the Son on the cross. And for the only time in eternity, the fellowship was broken between the Father and the Son. Why? Because the Son became your sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let the whole world get this from the cross. And I, if I be lifted up, will attract all men, or attract the attention of all men, or get the attention of all men, or all men will then be able to see my love. And that's what I think he meant when he said, and I, if I be lifted up in the earth, will draw all men. He said, everybody can see the old rugged cross so despised by the world. Everybody can see it and know that God loves them and know something of the love of God. You wonder about the love of God. You see the Son of God, the darling of heaven, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, God incarnate, God clothed in human flesh. You see Him being stripped naked and made a public spectacle. Away with these pictures of Calvary drawn by some homosexual guy that makes Jesus a long-haired hippie and makes him have one little scar on his side and a few little scars on his hand. Isaiah said that his body was so marred and so beaten that you could not even tell that his body was that of a human being at all. You ever wonder about God's love? God says, and I, if I lift it up, I'll be able then to express to man something of my love. You ever wonder about the love of God? You see that darling body stripped naked, and you see that cat of nine tails, nine whips on one handle, laden down with lead and, and hunks of metal, and you see that thing uh, beaten across his back 39 times, but you could not even tell his arms were human arms, you could not even tell his feet were human feet, you could not even tell his body was a human body, you could not even tell his shoulders were human shoulders. This is not, this is not somebody just dying in your place, this is God going to hell for you as your sacrifice and your substitute.
God pity this milk toast kind of Christianity. Won't even read its Bible every day. Won't even tithe. Rob God of the income. When Jesus gave His all on the cross for you, you won't even give 10% of little paltry money to Him. What kind of Christianity is that? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. What Jesus was doing when He said, And I, if I lift it up, will draw them in. He was not only saying, If I lift it up on the cross, I'll pay the penalty for sin. But He's saying, I will finally, as best I can, speak in man's language so man can comprehend a little bit of my love and understand the vocabulary with which I speak of my love. This is why we, it was called His glory. That's why the cross was called His glory. I wish, pardon the simplicity of the illustration, but I sat on the chapel program of the day at high school while somebody else was speaking. And I looked out at those kids and I said to myself, I wish there was some way I could speak the language they could understand how much I love them. I wish I had some way let those kids sitting out there in the high school chapel, kids that I knew, I married their parents and I prayed for them before they were born. And I, they, they used to put money under my door and hug me and kiss me as a little child, little children. And now they're teenagers. And I sat there the other day and looked out and saw the young people, all of them just about I've pastored since their infancy. And for most of them, I'm the only pastor they ever had. And I, 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 I hurt. I said, I wish there was some way. I could let those kids know how much their preacher loves them. I'll be honest with you. I hurt. I just hurt. I want to sometimes just take a knife out and cut my heart open and say, look at it, look at it. I hunger for a translator. I hunger for a vocabulary you can understand. I think of those up in years in our church. Many of them here when I came 27 years ago who stood by me like rocks of Gibraltar for 27 years. I wish I could go to each of you, and I wish I had a vocabulary that could let you know how much your preacher loves and appreciates you. But my inability to find a common denominator vocabulary is tiny compared to Jesus. Can you imagine his frustration? And what he says is, Hey, folks, I put the moon in the sky at night to show you I loved you, but that didn't satisfy me. I put the sun in the root of the day to show you I love you, but that didn't satisfy me. I put the stars like chandeliers in the sky to show you my love, but that didn't satisfy me. I somehow hunger to get it out so you can see it and understand it. I give you food to eat. I give you air to breathe. I give you a world on which to live. He said, now then, I want to show you as best I can. If this doesn't do it, you'll never know how much I love you. He said, go to Jerusalem. Go outside the northern wall of the holy city. Look upon that little hill of a skull, like a skull, where I've been on on two several occasions and others have been. More than I. 
And he said, 2,000 years ago, I was on that little hill of a skull. And a cross was placed under my body and I was beaten and I was placed on that cross. He said, look at it. He said, I'm trying to tell you I love you. I wish I had a vocabulary to tell my staff how much I appreciate them. After pastor school was over and we had our closing prayer meeting in the chapel and I went out to drive a while, I thought, I wish those people that labor with me knew my heart right now. I wish they knew my gratitude. I wish they knew how much I appreciate all their sacrifice. And I saw that picture of hundreds of people on this platform here, that closing hour of pastor's school, probably five, six, seven hundred of our people. And I thought, I wish those people knew how proud I am of them right now. I wish I had a vocabulary to tell you. And then I thought, how Jesus must ache to get it across to us. That's why it was called His glory. He said, I'll never study you to eternity or show you. Be able to, you'll never be able to understand my love. But He said, hey, the best I can do is an old rugged cross. Look at the cross. That's what it means in Isaiah 53.12 when it says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He left heaven and came to earth for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He was despised and rejected of men while on earth for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He was hated for you, but that didn't satisfy him. Foxes had their holes and birds had their nests, but he had no place to lay his head. And that was for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He was beaten beyond recognition, but that didn't satisfy him. The Bible says, until he had offered up his soul in death and poured out his soul. Here it is. Here I am. Poured out. God emptied deity. Emptied. Look at it. He said, look at it and see. I'm trying to tell you in the best way I can. I love you. I heard a man say not long ago in a sermon, and I guess all of us have said it as younger preachers. Jesus said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. He wasn't asking God the Father not to let him go to the cross. He was asking God not to let him die then in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew that some prophecy had not yet been fulfilled. And he was saying, Father, the Old Testament will not be fulfilled if I die now. But he thought he was dying then. Great drops of blood, perspiration like drops of blood came from his brow. And he said, Father, wait, wait, wait to the right time. This is not the right time. Jesus never shrank back. It was his opportunity. It was his interpreter to say to you, I love you. It's not a new story to any of us. It's an old story we all can remember for a minute. A young couple got married back in the days before they had cars. This is a true story. They were going on their honeymoon in a, in a, in a, in a, a buggy, horse and buggy. And that's the way they used to date back in those days. The days... Uh, now, when I was born, they already had cars. But back in my mother's day, she used to say they, they, they always dated by horse and buggy. This young couple got married and she had on a beautiful wedding gown. He had on the best, he, best suit he could, could afford. They got in the 
buggy and the horse-drawn carriage taking them on their honeymoon. When all of a sudden something frightened the horse, and the horse began to run as fast as it could, and and uh, and, and their lives were endangered, and the, the buggy was, was bouncing and almost turning over, and the horse kept going, and the man said, I've got to do something. And the young groom jumped up and grabbed the reins and grabbed the horse. And as he did pull the horse to a stop, the horse stomped him to death. And as his bride came and watched her groom of just a few hours die, he looked up at her and said, I loved you, didn't I? And the Savior speaks from Calvary and says, I loved you, didn't I? I loved you. I tried to tell you. I want you to know. You're a man. I'm God. We don't speak the same language. You cannot understand the heart of deity. You cannot understand the language of God. But he said, somehow, baby, on Calvary, if you'll see me dying and dipping my soul into hell for you, maybe I can say I loved you, didn't I? And I, and I, if I be lifted up, will attract all men to my love. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to be aware of my love. That's what he meant when he said it's finished. One thing he meant. The expression of my love is fulfilled now. That language of deity has come to its highest point. It will never be more expressive than that. I can do no more, he says. If that doesn't do it, nothing will. I'm going to say something now I've never said in my life before. And to be quite frank with you, I'm not sure it's true, but I sort of think it might be and it's worth your thinking about. Hear me carefully. If there always was an element of pardon in deity, and if God always wanted to show His creation that He loved us, could God, in a sense, have been pleased when man fell? I'm afraid almost to say that. But God would never have had a cross. If man had never sinned, I'm not saying that's true. But I, and I'm not saying when man fell that Jesus said hot dog. I'm glad about that. But I know one thing: it did make Calvary necessary, and it gave Jesus a chance to use the best language he could ever use to show man that he loved us. When man sinned, it made Calvary necessary. Liberal, I said it made Calvary necessary. Those that do not believe that in the, the atonement of the vicarious death of Christ, I said it made Calvary necessary. And nobody will ever get to heaven unless he goes by the way of the cross. You never will. You never will. But maybe if God wasn't happy when man sinned, because it broke the fellowship with him. It just may be that that pardoning part of deity at least said, now I'll have an opportunity to go to the cross. Had man sinned, there would have been no cross. And had man, had not, man not sinned, there would have been no cross. And had there been no cross, perhaps God's greatest opportunity to show us of His love would have been unnecessary. 
I think I understand a little bit, as I said a while ago. I wish these school teachers here, Hammond Baptist Grade School, Hammond Baptist Junior High and High School, Howells Anderson College, I wish, I wish I could somehow open my heart and let you know how much I appreciate your sacrifice. I wish somehow I could express to those of you that through these years have stood loyally behind your pastor and prayed for him and, and served and worked, I wish I could tell you how much I love you. I'll be quite frank with you. I sometimes wish I could go to a cross. I wish I had the same medium of expression that Jesus had. I really believe this with all my heart. If I thought I could make a cross and die on it tomorrow, if I thought that would reveal to you, my people, my heart, I'd gladly do it. I sometimes envy the martyrs. I told God this morning early, I love you. I love you. Sometimes I wish there was some better way I could express it. Sometimes I wish and envy those who were burned at the stake. Sometimes I envy a John Huss. Sometimes I envy a Latimer. Sometimes I envy a Savonarola, Martin Luther. I somehow wish there were some way, some medium that I could use to show God my love. Maybe this is the best way. He died for me as the great expression of his love. Maybe if I can die, like I preached two weeks ago tonight, that's the best way for me to show him I love him. Maybe when he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Maybe if somehow I can get to the place where I can die, die to myself, Die to my personal dreams. Die to my own ambitions. Die to my wants. Die to my hopes. Die! Maybe that would be the best way. That's the way he used to show me he loved me. Maybe if I could ever do that, I could show him I loved him. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. But how do you tell him? How does a pastor tell a group of young people that if 40 years, 42 years, 45 years younger than he is, how can he find a vocabulary where they can understand his love? How can a pastor tell the students at the college who are 40 years and 35 to 40 years younger than he is of his love? How can a pastor tell the people who've labored with him all these many years but who've never pastored? How can the heart of a pastor be known by people who work in the secular field? How can he tell them, I don't know, but I wish I could.
And I know something of the heartbreak of God in heaven. And God said, I want you to know I love you. And he wasn't satisfied until he poured out his all. He came to earth for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He was a man of sorrows, as I said a while ago, rejected of men for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He was hated, reviled, excommunicated from his own synagogue and kicked out of his own city and, and chased from his, the town of his ministry for you. But that didn't satisfy him. He went to an unjust trial for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He was reviled, cursed, spat upon for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He was beaten beyond recognition for you, but that didn't satisfy him. He had nails in his hands and feet, but that didn't satisfy him. Crown of thorns on his brow, that didn't satisfy him. The Bible said nothing satisfied him until he poured out his soul. What did that mean? That means he took your sin and charged him against his record. And stood guilty in the sight of a holy God. God said, Guilty! And Jesus dipped his soul into the torments of the damned and suffered your hell and mine. And then, the Bible says, he was satisfied. Mother, you remember? You remember? When the doctor said, You were going to have a little one? The first one. You remember? Do you remember the pickles and the peanut butter between two slices of watermelon? Do you remember? Do you remember the poached egg baptized in Cairo syrup for breakfast? Remember? Fellas, remember the little spotches they had on their faces? And they got even more miserable to live with than they were before. Remember? And remember... How that when you laid on your back, you look like a pyramid. <laughs> and on your stomach, you look like a rocker on a rocking chair. Remember? And on the side, you laid on your side, you fell off the bed. Remember? You could only throw a kiss to your husband. You couldn't reach him. Remember? But that didn't satisfy you. I'll tell you what satisfied you. And they brought that little one. And you held that little one in your arms. And you said, this is flesh of my flesh. And blood of my blood. And you had entered into the jaws of death. Giving your life for the life of that precious child. And that little one began to hunt for mama's breast. And you held him tight. You were satisfied then. Because you had entered the jaws of death. And though that little one doesn't understand it now, someday he will. And Jesus went to hell on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin and mine and travailed in eternal, eternal death. And then reaches out and says, Come to me. And we come to him. He receives us and pulls us to his dear breast. And he says... I loved you, didn't I? I loved you 
die. That's the best he can do. He doesn't. You don't know his language. You can't explain to God. Or God can explain to you in, in his language how he loves you. He has to come and explain it in our language. Don't you think one of these days he, he's going to have a time when we're like him. And we can understand heaven's vocabulary. And we'll be able to understand exactly how much God loves us. One of the joys of heaven for me is going to be when my heart is open and revealed to you. And you know how much I love you. And I long for you to have the best of God's blessings. Look at the cross tonight. On a hill far away is there an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. Look at the cross. It was God's opportunity to say, I loved you. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.